You've heard the old saying, the straw that broke the camel's back. You've heard that that is the last straw. When we hear those phrases, when we hear those being said, we know what is about to happen. There comes to that point where someone comes and they've been pushed too far. And when that, when that breaking point comes, we know that that was the straw that broke the camel's back. When that breaking point comes, we know that that was the last straw. And, you know, in my life, there have been moments in that where I've known that I've broke that last straw. And I see it in my parents' eyes. Because I'm playing with it. I'm fiddling with that straw. And I see it break, and then I go, oh, no. <laughs> that was the last one. I thought I had one more. I thought, I thought this camel could hold two more straws. But that last straw is broken, and the camel's back is broken, and everything comes running out. As our journey through the book of Genesis continues, we come to Genesis chapter 31, verses 31 through 42 this morning. And in this passage, we see Jacob being pushed beyond the breaking point. Laban has been mistreating Jacob for about 20 years now. God has called Jacob to return to his homeland. Jacob gathered his wives together and visited with his wives. And for the first time in that 20 years, we saw his wives agree on something. And they agreed to go back to the homeland. And they began that journey. And while Laban was away, three days away, shearing sheep, that was the time that Jacob decided it was time to head west. And so quietly, under the cover of darkness, while Laban was away, he gathered up all of his belongings, loaded his camels, and they headed west. Laban found out, and Laban's desire was to stop him. And there's no doubt that as Laban tried to overcome Jacob, that he was looking forward to doing some bodily harm to Jacob. He wanted to take vengeance on Jacob, gather the flocks that Jacob had gathered, take his daughters back, return to the homestead, and have life and live life happily ever after. But God. That's what we saw last week, but God. That was what Laban's idea was. That was what Laban's desire was, but God. Just at the last moment, God stepped in. And so this morning, as we pick up where we left off last week, we want to look at three things as we move through this section of passage of verses here. We first of all see Laban's strife. We see Jacob's strife. And we see Jacob's salvation in the midst of this as well. Before we dive into this passage this morning, let's just pause for a moment and go before the Lord. Father, you know what kind of day it's been already for us, hurrying and scurrying around to be here this morning. And Lord, we're grateful that we've made it here. You know what kind of week we've had, Lord? It's been one of those weeks. Lord, you know the week that lies ahead for us. It's going to be another one of those weeks. So, Lord, in our time together, we pray that as we look into your word, you would open our hearts and our minds to let us hear from you. Lord, let us not be distracted as you speak to us. Let us drink in what you have for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would feed our souls this morning, that we would hear from you today, that we can leave this morning and know that we have heard from you. 
Lord, in order for us to hear from you, you've got to take my mind and my heart and my tongue. Allow me to share what you'd have us to hear. Nothing more, Lord, but certainly nothing less either. Speak to our hearts this morning, Father. We pray all of these things in your son's perfect name. Amen. So I hope you have your Bibles open to Genesis 31, verse 31 this morning. As we begin here, we see Laban's strife. Look at verse 31. It said, Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Now I know as we start here in verse 31 this morning, this seems awkward. We kind of seem to be in the middle. We see Jacob answering a question here. We have no idea what's going on. And all of a sudden, this is where we're beginning. So what happened? Jacob's answer is out of place here. But Jacob is answering the question that Laban presented to him in verse 27. That's where we were last week. So look at verse 27 with me. Laban came and approached Jacob and he said, Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and with tambourine and lyre? So that's the question that Laban is asking Jacob. Why did you sneak away in the cover of darkness? What were you thinking when you left at that time? And we saw last time as Laban asked this question, he's putting all this stuff together like he's a good guy, that he was going to have a going away party. But we know that's not Laban's character. Laban is opposite that. Laban was not happy about this, and, and he wouldn't have been any better if he would have been there. And it says here, Jacob answered and said to Laban, because... I was afraid. He fled when he fled because he was afraid. He said, I was afraid you would take your daughters from me by force. Now, Jacob didn't just come to this conclusion. Jacob didn't just step out of the closet and say, you know what, I think if I do this, this is going to happen. For 20 years, he has seen Laban operate this way. He has seen and experienced Laban's mindset, his attitude, his conniving, his deceiving. And so he knows the character of Laban. And so he decides that this is his only choice because Laban is a swindler and he's got to do it this way. And so that's where, Laban, that's where Jacob is at. Now it's interesting as we look at this, as we think about him being afraid, as we think about this situation that he's in, we remember that God told Jacob it was time to go. Jacob talked to his wives and they said, we agree, it's time to go. Circumstances became uncomfortable. Jacob says, it's time to go. This is a matter of Jacob stepping out on faith and trusting God. As he steps out, he still wants to kind of do things his way. He doesn't want to fully trust God and rely on God, so he flees under the cover of darkness. Genesis 31, verse 3, look up ahead there. It says, The Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. This was the promise that Jacob had to stand upon. Jacob decided he would take things in his own hands and he would answer God's call, but he would flee. He would flee under the cover of darkness when Laban least expected it. 
and he waited for his chance, and that's what he did. Now Laban is three days away. He hears the news of Jacob's departure, and he comes chasing after Jacob, and he's ready to overtake Jacob. It says in verse 32, Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live in the presence of your kinsmen. Point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know what Rachel had stolen them. Now as we're here, we see this and say, what in the world's going on? Well, last week we looked at verse 19. Look at verse 19 with me this morning. Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. So while Laban was three days away, Jacob is getting his group ready and they're ready to depart. And Rachel says, wait just a second, I've got to grab something. And she runs to dad's tent and she grabs Laban's idols and she steals those from her father. Laban comes back, sees that these household gods are missing and he runs after and pursues Jacob and his caravan. Verse 30 here in Genesis 31. The very last part of that. As Laban comes into the presence of Jacob's camp, he says, why did you steal my gods? Verse 32 is where we read Jacob's answer. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of your kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Now, we have hindsight, right? We know that Rachel has stolen them. Jacob did not know that Rachel had taken them. Laban's missing idols were news to Jacob. Jacob established the death penalty right here for the theft of an idol. He didn't know Rachel had them. So he said, I tell you what, Laban, as you look, you can search all of my stuff. And if you find anything that belongs to you, point it out. He says, anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. They will die if they have your gods. In the presence of your kinsmen, remember as he came, he brought his kinsmen with him. Laban brought his kinsmen with him. He said, in the presence of your kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Jacob has nothing to hide. Anything that you find, point it out. Bring it out in front of the kinsmen and let them see it. And let them decide. Verse 33. So Laban went into Jacob's tent. He found nothing. He went into Leah's tent. And then into the tent of the two, male, two female servants. But he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent. And he entered Rachel's. Now, we have hindsight. So we know that as he does this extensive search, that Rachel is the one who has these idols. We know that. We've, we've read. We know. We're looking back with hindsight. We know. We know the penalty of having those idols. So imagine this in this TV series kind of way. 
he goes and he enters into Jacob's tent. And there's kind of a sigh of relief there, isn't there? Ah, not going to find him in Jacob's tent. <laughs> and then he goes to Leah's tent, his first wife. Uh-oh. But they're not going to be in Leah's tent, so we're okay. Hopefully he will quit. Then he goes and skips Rachel's tent, but he goes to the, two, the, tent of the tents of the two servant wives. The thick plotting's a little bit, doesn't it? Because we start getting anxious here. Then we read, and he went out of Leah's tent, and he entered Rachel's. And again, this would be where that music would change, wouldn't it? This would be the time when the commercial would come on. And we'd be like, uh-oh, this is it for Rachel. It's all over. The death penalty has come to her tent. That's where it's going to be. Now, the plot really thickens here, or the thick plotlands, however you speak that in your part of the country. <laughs> but Rachel, Rachel being the daughter of a deceiver, has learned a thing or two. Notice what it says in verse 34. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them into the camel's saddle. And she sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but he did not find the household gods. Laban searches all of Rachel's tent. And look at verse 34 there. The last part says, Laban felt all about the tent. So Laban didn't just walk in and go, hmm, I don't see him. He went, and every little pile of clothes or every little thing that was there, he felt to make sure that it wasn't in there. He does a thorough search of Rachel's tent. Now, as a television audience watching this, we're getting anxious, right? Sweaty palms. How is, how is she going to escape? And she tells Laban, sorry that I haven't stood up. And she remains seated. And Laban excuses her. He lets her remain seated. And she's seated on the saddle where those idols are, perfectly hidden. Instead of standing to greet Laban, she remains. And Laban passes by. That's the one place he doesn't feel for the idols. The one place he doesn't search. And Rachel is able to keep the idols undetected. So this is Laban's strife. As he comes, he's angry about this. I was reading this week, and one of the things it shared, we asked last time, why would Rachel steal these idols? Uh, it could have been for her own desire to worship. Uh, it could have been if she's seeing it as a good luck charm. But oftentimes, the household idols were seen as a down payment or as a token of a future inheritance. So think about this. If Laban, if Jacob has these idols, he's entitling himself to Laban's future inheritance. And Laban doesn't really like that idea, if that's the case. That's why he's so protective of these idols. 
and Rachel has those items. So he's angry about this. He's upset about this. Now, Laban comes upset. But notice that this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. Because now Jacob is upset. Look at verse 36. When then Jacob became angry, and he berated Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? So Laban came, searched through everything of Jacob's, and found nothing. Now Jacob says, Laban, show me what you have found that belongs to you. Bring it out here in front of all of your kindred and show me where I have wronged you. Laban's search actually gives testimony to Jacob's honesty. Remember his brothers were jealous of Jacob stealing from his father, taking the herd. Jacob, or Laban was upset about Jacob's wealth growing and increasing. But now with all of these witnesses here, Laban walks through everything that Jacob owns and he sees nothing that is not Jacob's. He sees nothing that Jacob has not earned. His testimony in his anger actually shows how honest Jacob was in his dealings with Laban. And how awesome is this to be Jacob? And he says, search through everything and show me what you found. Well, you know Jacob is trying to hide nothing. That's how open Jacob is with this. This is how much integrity Jacob has practiced in his serving of Laban. Look at everything. I have nothing to hide. I am completely open. Because of Jacob's integrity being brought into question, he becomes angry. And this is the final straw. What is my offense? What is my sin that you've so hotly pursued me? He says in verse 37, For you felt through all my goods. And notice that Jacob even realizes that he felt through all my goods. Not just looked at, not just observed, but thoroughly searched through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that you may decide between us. So Jacob says, reveal my sin to everybody. Whatever my sin is, show it to everybody. Jacob wants all of the evidence presented. Jacob will either be condemned by Laban or he will be cleared by Laban. This is not Jacob's word against Laban's word. Laban has felt everything in his tent, everything that he owns. Bring it out before my kindred and your kindred and let them be the jury. Jacob had been wrongly accused, and he wants Laban to admit it. 
He's had enough of Laban's empty accusations. Now, notice what Jacob shares. He shares his resume with us and with Laban and with the kindred in verse 38. These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. So what Jacob does, Jacob shares that Laban's sheep and Laban's goats did not miscarry. Now, if you've been around livestock at all, if they're stressed, if they're under a lot of stress, they will miscarry. They will not have offspring. Stress will do that to them. Jacob says, hey, examine your flocks, and you can tell by the offspring that they've had how well they've been cared for. They've not miscarried, so they're not stressed. They've been cared for well. He says, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. Now, most of the time when you're increasing your herd, when you're raising a livestock, your ewes or your females you will keep and let them keep producing. And one ram can take care of a good group of ewes. And so any extra rams that you get, you will butcher the rams and let and let the other let your main ram remain and let your ewes remain and you'll you'll butcher your rams. Jacob says, I haven't butchered any of your rams. Jacob has eaten other things, wild game or his own rams. He has not eaten any of Jacob's, any of Laban's. So he's been upright in how he's cared for Laban's herds. For 20 years, he's been upright in his service for Laban. It says, what was torn by wild beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. And so anything that was eaten by wild beasts, Jacob took that loss upon himself. He saw that it is his fault and did not bring it to Laban. Anything that was stolen, Laban required Jacob to pay for it. And so Jacob did. For 20 years, Jacob has been upright in his service for Laban. And so as Laban comes with this accusation, he says, my history, the way I've acted in the past, should be, uh, be a representation of my character. But yet you've come and you've attacked my character. As a parent raising our kids, my dad made sure this was drilled into us. And we tried to do this with our kids as well. We would tell our kids, be honest with us. Whatever it is, be honest with us. And then when accusations come against you, 
we know that you've been upright in your dealings with us and we can be in your corner. But if you prove yourself to be a liar to us, then when someone else comes and makes an accusation, it's hard for us to take your side, even though you're our own blood as far as we know. But if you're honest in the little things, then we will know that you're honest in the big things. And that's exactly what Jacob has just laid out. For 20 years, I've been honest with you. I've been nothing but a man of integrity. And now you're bringing this accusation against me, and you're questioning my integrity. But yet, for my whole lifetime, I've shown you nothing but integrity. Boy, that's an amazing thing to stand upon, isn't it? Being a man or a woman of integrity, being able to stand on that. And you think about that, 20 years. That's impressive. That's impressive. Especially in the conditions where he has been in. And you know, as we think about Jacob's integrity being questioned, we kind of understand why he's upset a little bit. Because his character's been brought into question. Laban's strife, Jacob's strife. Now notice Jacob's salvation. Verse 40. There I was by day, the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These have been Jacob's working conditions. These have been Jacob's working conditions. There was not a hired man or a servant that was out there taking care of Laban's sheep, Laban's flocks. Jacob was doing that. It was not the low man on the totem pole. It was Jacob. The first job that I really had, well, not the first job, but a job that I had, I was probably 23 years old. I was the low guy on the totem pole by at least 20 years. And we hired a new guy. And I knew that even hiring the new guy, I was going to be the low guy on the totem pole because he was really old. He was like 40. So I was going to be the low guy on the totem pole no matter what. And as the low guy on the totem pole, I got toilet duty. I was allowed, given permission, to clean all the toilets. That was my duty as low man on the totem pole. Jacob says, you know what? I was the low man on the totem pole for 20 years. And I did it with integrity. Mail carrier. Heat, rain, snow, sleet, sun, scorching, you always get your mail. Jacob says, hey, you always got your mail. I took care of it for 20 years. Many a sleepless night through all of that. He says in verse, 20, in verse 41, these 20 years I've been in your house. I've served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages ten times. So he said, seven years I served you for the daughter that I did not want. Remember, he wanted to marry Rachel. He woke up and it was Leah. So he agreed to serve him for another seven years for Rachel, the daughter that he wanted. So 14 years of his life he gave to serving Laban. And at the end of that 14 years, he said, Laban, we're going home. And Laban said, nah, you can stick around a little bit longer. Whatever you want, I'll pay you. And remember that arrangement that he made. 
I'll take the spotted and the speckled offspring, and you can keep all the purebreds, and I'll take those who are not worth so much. That was his agreement. And even with that agreement, his arrangements were changed ten times. At first, he was to have the striped and the spotted. Then he was to only have the, the spotted. And then he could only have the striped. Ten times Laban changed his wages. But in that six years of service, he continued to serve Laban. Now we see why the straw finally broke. But notice what he says in verse 42. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. If God had not been caring for me, I would have went away empty-handed. Laban would have given him nothing. And notice what he says. The God of my father, the God of Abraham. Speaking of Abraham's God, Abraham's God led him out of Ur, led him to Haran, led him from Haran to the promised land. It was Abraham who followed God's leading. It was Abraham who sent back his servant to find a wife, which was Laban's sister, Rebekah, to be a wife for his son, Isaac. And, Laban, and Jacob says, the God of my father. That would be Isaac. The fear of Isaac. This is the God that Isaac served, the God that Isaac still serves, the God that Isaac has reverence for. That's the God that Jacob is speaking of. That's the God that has taken care of Jacob over these last 20 years in spite of Laban. This is the God who's cared for Jacob. And Jacob gives testimony of that right here to Laban. He doesn't share because I'm such a great guy. Because you know what? You've got to look out for yourself in this world. Because I am the greatest herd breeder of all time. He doesn't share that. He shares of the one who came and redeemed him and saved him and protected him. The God of Abraham has my back. The God of my father Isaac has my back. That's the one where my trust is at, is in that God. He is the one who's saved me and protected me through all of this that you've brought my way. And he points it out. Notice what he says in verse 42. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. Remember when Laban walked into the camp last week? He said, I can do anything I want to do to you, but your God told me I can't. But God told me I can't. 
Jacob right here says, this God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God that I serve, is the God who's protected me. He's the one who intervened right at the right moment and saved me. That's the God that rebuked you. That's the God of which I speak. God stepped in right at the right time. God did not come and stop Laban before Laban left Haran because Jacob would have never known. God waited until right at that last moment when Jacob would know that God rescued him, when Laban would know the one who rescued Jacob. Jacob gives testimony to Laban, that's the God who just rescued me. Laban has seen this God work. He's seen Abraham's servant come. And Abraham's servant gave testimony of how God was blessing Abraham. And that's when he sent Rebekah. That's when he and his father agreed to send Rebekah. And he's seen God work as Jacob has come and worked with him these last 20 years. He even gave testimony to Jacob. I'm only blessed because you're blessed, brother. But yet, Laban has ignored that. Laban has admitted it with his head and in his mouth, but in his heart, he's far away from God. And Jacob gives testimony to who God is and what God has done, and that God has been at work behind the scenes. God stepped in and rebuked Laban. God tried to correct Laban's path. And Jacob points it out to Laban. So there you have it. Laban's strife, Jacob's strife, and Jacob gives testimony of the salvation that he's received. So what do we take home from this? What does this mean to us on this Sunday morning or this Monday afternoon? What does this mean for us? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I still don't think we can get away from Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1-1 has to be something that fills our minds, fills our hearts, and impacts our day-to-day -day lives. In the beginning, God. We saw it with Laban, but God, but God. God is still God. Even in this circumstance where, where Laban finds himself, where Jacob finds himself, even though it feels like everything has been opposed to Jacob, and he's been getting the raw deal, but God. Life has been unfair for Jacob, but God. It's been an uphill battle for Jacob, but God. God has been asking Jacob to go back to his promised land, and he's not wanted to know, he's not known how to do that, so he just fled. But God. You know, there are times when we face these same things, and we've got to remind ourselves, but God. In the beginning, God. That's where we've got to come. That's got to be our base of operation. That's got to be where we homestead at. We may take these little ventures here and there. We may face difficulties, but we've got to remember where our homestead is at. In the beginning, God. God has taken care of Jacob. God has proven himself to be faithful. God has proven himself that he can be trusted. 
And it's amazing as we look at this that God sees every wrong that has taken place with Jacob. It seems like for these 20 years, God has not seen anything. But just at the right moment, God trusts him. God trusts him. Romans 12, verse 19 says this. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. For 20 years, Jacob has been under the thumb of Laban. But God. But God. God is in control. It may feel like Things are unfair. And maybe it hasn't happened to you yet, but there are going to be times when you are wronged. It's going to happen. We're going to face those kind of things. But God. But God. That's what we've got to hang on to. But God. For these 20 years, Jacob has been learning. He's been wrongly treated. He's been wrongly accused. But God. God took care of him in spite of all of that. But God. So, the question that we have to face today is, are we willing to let God take care of things? Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? I mean, on a Sunday morning gathered here, and it's almost 2 o'clock, uh, we, can, we can say, yeah, I'm willing. But man, when that door closes and we're out of here, man, that's a different thing, isn't it? Can we trust God in that circumstance? When things don't go as we think they should, can we trust God? God, I don't know what you're trying to teach me. Hopefully it doesn't last 20 years. But I want to trust you. God, you've proven yourself to be faithful. I want to trust you. God, there have been times when I've been treated unfairly, when I've been wronged, and boy, oh, hearty, I really want to take vengeance. I love this verse until it comes to the part where vengeance is mine, I will repair, says the Lord. I like it better when it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says Darren. I like that better. It's got more of a ring to it. But can God take care of things in a better way than we can? Can God take care of things in a better way than we can for the glory of God? Unfortunately, when Darren takes care of things, God doesn't get the glory. Darren doesn't get the glory either. It doesn't work that way. But when God takes care of God is in control. Can we trust God? He has proven himself to be faithful.